right, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio Extra Innings. Today is our primary results, looking at what just happened in the primaries. And joining me as co-hosts today are... Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. And uh, we're pleased to have two guests today, Lisa and Lori from the Indivisible Massachusetts Coalition. Welcome. Thank you. Okay, so... What a wide range of results we saw across the state. Some of the people we interviewed got in, some didn't. Um, Let's just start with Teresa. What happened with Teresa English? She flooded the polling areas with large signs and very, very well written out little cards showing the spot on the ballot where you're supposed to put the sticker and the sticker, which was easy to peel off. And uh, And she was running as a write-in, right? Yeah, she's running as a write-in for Democratic State House Representative. As of yesterday, there we were told there were approximately 870 write-in votes, but we don't know how many of them are for Teresa. At any rate, she far exceeded the 150 necessary for her to be on the ballot uh, for November. And she's excited, and she's not tired, and she's determined to win. So other person who we interviewed who was also going as a write-in was Michael Mazinas. Do we have results yet for that race? As yesterday afternoon, I, I was told that Kip Diggs had won the Barnstable second. Um, he was also a write-in candidate. I don't know the official results, though. So those were the two write-in candidates. Um, the thing with Michael was that I need to clarify was that he was originally running as an independent candidate. So I think he gets to be on the ballot anyway come November as an independent candidate um, because he only just switched to ask to be a write-in Democratic candidate at the end. I don't know if one nullifies the other. Um, Lisa might know more about those particular types of rules than than I do. No, sorry, can't help there. So um, so we need to do a little more investigating on that, but he was everywhere. He actually had a bigger rally on the Hyannis Rotary than the um, Trumpers that usually are there, and he had flags from every nation. Um, It was a very nice thing. Kip Diggs, on the other hand, um, did not do an interview with us, but he did sit down and talk with Cape Cod Women for Change and assured uh, Cape Cod Women for Change that he was um, fully behind the Roe Act um, and fully behind a woman's right to choose. That's interesting because it, it really is not the impression that was created in his public presentation back in the summer. So that is interesting. So looking at about phase, he walked back all those comments, admitted that he didn't really know enough about the bill back then. And now he claims he's done his homework and is um, on board. But well, you're right. That, yeah. that, that was a problem. We'll definitely have to invite him because, you know, I mean, we've tried, but I think we'll have to try again because it's very interesting, um, that change in position. So bigger races include, we don't have a result yet. Do we have a result yet for Kennedy's seat? There isn't a result yet. Apparently, they're still counting some of the late ballots in one town that had some problems um, counting all the ballots on election day. So Galvin had to go to court to make sure they could count, continue counting ballots today because technically you're supposed to count them in public on election day. So they apparently um, hope to have re- final results today. And depending on how close it is, 
Um, there could be the possibility of a recount. It has to be half a percentage point difference. The unofficial results have um, Jake up over Jesse by 1%. So the final count will matter. Then looking over at 27th Middlesex, that's where Katya Sharp and Erica Eiderhoven were competing. And Eiderhoven got 8,674 votes. Sharp had 5,313. And because every vote counts, there were 25 write-ins. 862 blanks. So Eiderhoven has one there. Um, and we had a really interesting conversation with her. We know she was working with and helped found Act on Massachusetts. And she was part of the group that put out the pledge asking people if they won, would they pledge to show their votes? And would they sign on trying to get other legislators to show their actual recorded votes, which will be really interesting to see what influence she might have. Some people we've interviewed don't think it's such a great idea, and some people we interviewed thought it was a really good idea. So I'm sure she will have a little more of a spotlight now that she'll be having a seat at the table. <laughs> because she doesn't have, my understanding is she doesn't have a Republican challenger. So she's basically you know, going to be the, the representative, although in that district, there probably wouldn't have been much doubt, even if someone was on the ballot on the other party. But they also, Act on Mass also put a, a non-binding advisory question on the ballot in some districts about the transparency issue, but I haven't seen any information about which districts they actually collected enough signatures on. But they did drop signatures off to the Secretary of State's office. So in some um, legislative districts, there'll be a question on the ballot asking whether you want your legislator to basically commit to that transparency pledge or not. Interesting. I wonder, I mean, how do people think Markey, his strong results might impact the next steps, you know, in the state level? He really distinguished himself by being, quote, you know, capital P progressive and had a lot of young people campaigning, people our age and older campaigning for him. But he really staked out some territory there, having AOC sign on, endorse him. How do people feel about that? Do you think that will tip some of these local representatives, maybe thinking they need to lean that way? Maybe give them a little more bravery, you mean, you know, to, to actually say, I am, say the P word, I am a progressive. <laughs> I think it's going to be a very polarizing candidate. He's going to be either, it's going to be you're with him and AOC or you're on the other side. It's going to be like the national Biden-Trump. It's going to be either you're with me or you're against me. That's my feel. It was on the news a lot and a Kennedy lost for the first time in 26 elections and it, that was the news. Instead of saying he wasn't prepared, he, he didn't get the votes because nobody thought he could do a better job than Markey, or he, everything was that a Kennedy lost the election. Instead of saying Markey won because of X, Y, or C, and Kennedy lost because of X, Y, and C. So I think it's going to be very polarizing. I think it'll mm -hmm. be interesting to see what happens with the, the, all the young students who helped out on Markey's campaign. I know they're having some conversations about what they do next. And I think in some cases, they'll be focused on national races. But going forward, 
after November, whether they'll get involved in state legislative races because they can bring an enormous amount of energy and organizing when they do. The other thing I thought was interesting was looking at the pattern of where Markey won. He won pretty big in some places that I think of as reasonably conservative parts of the state. And that might in fact have an impact on state representatives in those districts to realize that there might be more support for progressive policies there than you would have expected. Other people that were running, Michelle Mullet was running for the uh, state house in the 20th Middlesex. She was not opposed. So she's going to move forward. Also result four, we interviewed Jalon Rao and she did not get in. The person who won is named Megan Kilcoyne, who had 4,387 votes, whereas Jalon had 2,426 and someone named Turner, I don't know that Gambit, had 1,723. Interesting seeing some of these local races completely uncontested, just no one is stepping up and then places where there's three, four, five, six people running. Any thoughts about why are people throwing in their hat in some places against deep-seated incumbents and other places? I think part of it is the organization on the grassroots level because a lot of those candidates, those progressive candidates are coming out of doing kind of progressive organizing with groups like Indivisible, Progressive Mass, social other social justice groups that they've gotten involved in politics for that reason and people have encouraged them to step out and run but massachusetts is really behind other states in terms of how many contested races we had i saw some statistic a week or so ago that said out of the 200 um, state legislative not senators but the house there were only 60 races where there was a contest and in several of those, about a dozen of them, it was because an incumbent had retired and the seat was open. And to my mind, that's pretty dismal. Oh, we also interviewed Robbie Goldstein. He did not get in. Steve Lynch won again by a pretty big margin. That seems like an interesting contrast to me because people who voted, well, maybe it's not. Maybe Markey and Lynch, people lean towards incumbents. On the other hand, the more progressive contemporary approach definitely was with Robbie, it seems. Lynch is someone who originally called himself pro-life, and then he, in 2013, walked back from that. I don't actually like the phrase walked back. <laughs> he mm -hmm. changed his message. <laughs> Tammy Gouveia was not contested for the primary. Michelle Scola was not contested. Am I missing anyone who we've talked to? And we didn't really set out to talk to people in a particular party. We were looking for people who were open to having a conversation about the Roe Act and where they stood. I think it's really interesting when people can have a sustained conversation about reproductive justice yes. for 20 minutes. It's very different than saying, sure, yes. yes. Well, Josh Mason. Josh was not contested. Right. Um, but he's running against a pretty safe Republican in a pretty safe Republican district. That's Barnstable first district. Barnstable, they're right next door to Barnstable second district where Kip Diggs and Michael Messinas were running and they are running against a less popular Republican incumbent. And I think m most of the experienced political people that I've spoken to think that that's the seat that can be flipped, whereas the uh, Barnstable first is, is less likely. But both of those Republicans obviously are not open to even speaking to us about their position on Roe. There's a woman from Lowell who ran and as, uh, against David Mangle, who's under indictment. <laughs> 
for being a crook. And she, I think her name is Valerie something, find it and send it out. You know, when we were discussing who to interview and actually doing the interviews, we were amazed at that time that there were so many women who were running and the energy and the dedication and the determination that they had and who they were running against. You know, old white guys have been doing nothing for 20 years. 2018, we can look back to in terms of the, uh, the uh, U.S. House and say that was the year of the women. And I think 2020 is the year of the women, too. And <clears throat> unfortunately, we have to wait every two years to have these years of the women. Mm -hmm. But do you think that this is the beginning of women daring to run, taking the chance, being vulnerable, exposing themselves, doing the fight that could really change the face of the governing people, governing bodies of various states. Anybody else get a sense that, that this could be a creation time, a creation? I, I hope so. Yeah. I hope it is because somebody's got to do it. And I think that maybe a lot of women, you know, like all of us are just at the point where we're like, somebody has to do something mm -hmm. and there are places where women are in better positions or better suited to running for office than, than being an activist. But we're all looking for something to do because the current system is not just not working, but it is corrupt and, and serves only a portion of the population. Mm -hmm. And I think that women are just fed up. A lot of women are the ones who end up doing the postcarding, the phone calling, the sign holding, the organizing about the sign holding and the postcarding, the phone calling and running the phone banks and having the hospitality type approach to bringing friends in. So in many ways, I think some of that woman's work feels more comfortable at this point going to another qualified woman. Sure, if there's a great guy, great. But the more people realize the imbalance in the state house, I think that Trump Wynn brought that out so strongly when we talked to her. She's one of six women of color in 2020 in the Massachusetts State House. And she had two people running against her who were putting down immigrants. And as Martha pointed out, they themselves were immigrants, but they were trying to distinguish and again, put, you know, divide people, put people down. And she was so clear about saying, I'm going to run with exactly who I am. These are strengths. Being a woman is a strength. Being for, from having a different background than just growing up for multiple generations in Massachusetts is a strength. More people, I think, are seeing that. I think maybe that played into Kennedy's defeat, people getting tired of the patrician feeling, you know, maybe having an implicit bias that that person would be less understanding. That's I'm not judging him, just that people are starting to shift maybe where they trust people. Also, I think maybe with the Kennedy thing, it was that and I heard that from many people, that they were, um, I don't know if the word would be judging or having doubts because he was using money that we could have used for something else, for something more important. Like what, what, what is gonna happen if let's, uh, let's say Biden wins and then he takes Warren to the government. What's going to happen with that spot? Since we have a Republican governor, we will have another senator that is Republican. So we need one more spot in November because if Senator Warren leaves, then we won't have a majority in the Senate.
my general feeling is when people want to run, they should step up and run. They should do it if they want to do it. And then people show by their feet and volunteering for them if they really support it. But in this case, it did feel like there's so much energy we could use like on the ROW Act. There's so much energy we could use on the presidential campaign or supporting some of the really critical districts in other states. Maine is one of them right nearby. So the timing was very difficult to watch and the number of people who then felt very pulled in. But you know, you're right because Baker, if he's appointing someone, People that I know who are Democrats who voted for him felt like they were being very bipartisan. I have no expectation that he would be bipartisan back. I think that's crazy. So would he appoint like Ayanna Presley? I don't think so. Yeah, good point, Martha. Exactly. The only won't. good news is that the Democrats control the legislature. So they, at some point they changed the laws so that he can appoint somebody, but it's only for, I think, 120 days or 150 days. They, they, you have to call a special election. So yeah. unlike some states where once you get the appointment from the governor, you're in for the remainder of the person's term, that's not the case in Massachusetts. But still, you know, if, and I would think that that would influence Biden in terms of whether he might appoint Warren yeah. to a cabinet so position. If, if the Senate majority is razor thin, I would expect that he wouldn't be looking to, to have it flip um, by making a cabinet appointment like that. But yeah. I totally agree, Lisa. I want to go back a moment to Year of the Woman 2018, 2020. Very, very reminiscent of the early civil rights movement in which the women were in the background running the mimeograph machines and making the banners and baking the cookies and making all the guys feel good about st being strong and protesting while they were in the background and they were prevented from taking leadership roles in many of the civil rights organizations and also just in the, the daily, weekly, monthly protests. Switched to the 70s and they all became feminists. And they took their, they had their own marches and they had their own voices. And they said, that's it. We're not going to stand behind and watch you guys just ask us to bring you, you know, more cookies. This is it. You know, we're done with that. Move over, get out of the way. Here we go. So I'm hoping that, you know, uh, the past is prologue and this will, this, this movement will happen again. Maybe the best man for the job is a woman. Yes. As we look forward, we will be checking back in with some of the candidates who have advanced. If anyone who's listening knows of any people who are of any party, Republicans, independents who support the Roe Act, we would love to talk to them. Feel free to reach out to us at bostonredcloaks at gmail.com. We look forward to actually, as legislators are coming back, starting to look at some of the other partners in the Roe Coalition, we will be speaking with Kim Cartman from Planned Parenthood soon. And we've also got someone coming from Catholics for Choice. And it will be wonderful to look at some of the faith organizations that are supporting the Roe Act and continue following until we get it passed. We are ears open. Excellent. Ears and hearts. Let's do this. Let's, do this. Let's get it done. Let's, Let's do this. Woo! <laughs>